This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, here we go. It's the panel part of the program, Friday edition. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636 in-house, as she usually is most Fridays. The Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo, Minister at Trinity St. Paul Center for Faith, Justice, and the Arts. How's the Reverend? Fabulous. Great to be back, John. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Good to have you back. Uh, And also Michael Giles. Who's been a government apparatchik for 30 years and currently... He's 31. 31 now. You're right. I'm going to change that. 31. Uh, Chief of Staff to Deputy Mayor Anna Bylaw. How you doing, Michael? I'm good. I should point out that we're sitting in the midst of an Order of Canada recipient, and that is the Reverend Dr. Sherry oh, Denova. Oh, thank you. Oh, congratulations. She was on December yes. 28th. Yeah. I did not know that. The yes. Order of Canada. Yes. And uh, what does that signify in your own terms? Uh, well, it's an honor, and uh, and and it's not mine alone, but all those who've, who've, uh, you know, whose bills and uh, concerns I put forward. So it's, it's a team it's game. An honor. It's a team game, and but it is an honor. I'm looking forward to it, and it was a surprise. So it's exciting. Oh, uh, exciting. all right. The protocol for that: somebody's got to nominate you, obviously, right? Yes, yes. I I know a couple of folk who nominated me, um, but that was like a year and a bit ago. So it just came out of nowhere, as far as I'm concerned. And it was a nice gift, nice Christmas gift. Well, good for you, and congratulations. Yeah, uh, you know the wheels of the government tend to move slowly, so you're nominated <laughs> back in '84. <laughs> you get, we you don't want to rush it. Yeah, you get the notice. Uh, yeah, the order of Dominion back when you were nominated. <laughs> that's what it was. Uh, Rounding out the panel, Kelly Harris, Principal of Harris Public Affairs and also a columnist for QP Briefing. I'm taking it, Queen's Park Briefing. That's true, and great day for talk radio, Joe. Thank you for that, Kelly. You know, let's go to Queen's Park. This is an issue that continues to, as I keep saying, fester. uh, This impasse between the teachers and the government. And uh, it's something that I guess is coming to a head, uh, or will. I don't know which side, Michael, let me start with you, uh, would be most apt to blink and why, because it seems like uh, they're both digging in their heels. No perceptible off-ramp for either right now. So how do you see this playing out? Well, I think the Premier's comments the other day pretty well uh, drew the line in the sand. He has made it clear he's not budging on the 1%. And... Now that he's actually, you know, and they've, they've sort of held that position for a while, but now that he's enunciated that at this point in the bargaining process, uh, I don't see how he moves back from that or draws back from that. So, uh, you know, we're heading for a direct conflict in the sense that this is going to escalate. And, uh, you know, the, the, the rhetoric out there is high. You know, people are talking about the class sizes and the number of e-courses, which they have cut, you know, they've brought them down to two and they've, you know, moderated a bit on the class size. So I, I think that... Uh, Parents, you know, a lot of parents I talk to, they just get the sense that they're starting to throw their hands up in the air and they're getting very tired of the sort of the uh, the sword of Damocles hanging over everybody. So in a way, I suppose the only way for this to finally get a resolution is that it just hits, uh, the strike starts, and then we see where we go from there. All right, well, that's not really a resolution. It's just no. another stage. It's literally, that'll be the it'll be the battle. And I think, you know, in the long run, uh, it's difficult to say who's going to come out on top of this, but I don't think the government is going to back down on, on the, the compensation issue. And so now we have an impasse, whether it ends up with back-to-work legislation, which I think the government wants to avoid, because generally you get more through arbitration. But uh, uh, at some point, they, this is, I, I just don't, I don't see, you have two positions, frankly, that are philosophically irreconcilable at this particular point in time. So uh, there's only one way for this thing to go, and that's escalation. All right. Uh, well, then let me just uh, take it to where the potential for either an off-ramp or uh, some kind of uh, resolution 
you know, Michael talked about back-to-work legislation and the government doesn't want that. Uh, the unions may want that, though. And Doug Ford did say yesterday that that would be a last resort, so he didn't close the door entirely on it. Now, typically what does happen, uh, Kelly, is what uh, the arbitrator gives more in terms of settlements. But I was, let me just offer this up as maybe a long-range uh, plan, that if the government changes the rules of arbitration through legislation, in, in effect, uh, you know, based on the ability to pay, because, you know, a lot of communities have claimed when arbitration rules have come down, they don't have the ability to pay. The arbitrator doesn't take that into consideration. Now, if they would, uh, does that change the equation for possible back-to-work legislation, number one? Well, you got to think that they will try to do something like that with the 1% pay freeze. Um, right now, I, the thing that I've noticed this week as well is somebody in the Ministry of Education or in the um, issues management strategy in the Premier's office has, has figured out that by not paying teachers who are on strike, they have this bucket of money, and they're using that money in to give to parents who are looking for places to put their kids for childcare. So they've actually figured out that this is a public relations exercise on both sides. And the guy, this is the first time I've seen the government of Ontario actually realizing that, hey, we've got this bucket of money. We're now going to use this to to offer to the parents and basically go after the teachers. So I don't, I agree with my, I don't see the government backing down and any tool that they might find that they can use, if that includes changing the rules around arbitration, I think they're going to do it because I think they're going to actually... This is it. They put All a line right. in the sand. But with the other idea that, you know, this bucket of money that you call it, the $48 million that uh, if everybody, you know, were to exercise this, you know, the parental help, uh, the teachers are losing $60 million a day every strike day. So what you're saying is, yes, it's kind of a, a wash, but it actually favors the government somewhat that they can go on indefinitely. However, there's a tipping point, I guess, that's going to be reached uh, because parents who are having their lives disrupted, especially, you know, with the elementary grade students, this may not be enough to assuage them. And uh, but are they going to be uh, directing their anger and resentment at the unions or at the government, Sherry? At the government, and that clearly shows in the polls and the the attempt, I think, that is pretty clearly a bribe from the government to the the parents. It's certainly public relations for sure. Um, I, it doesn't seem to be working. I mean, the parents that are applying for that money are also the parents who are saying they don't want cuts to education. Of course, they're going to be applying for the money. Who wouldn't if it's there? But um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're signaling support for the government. I think the government is already backed down to a degree. I think the government will have to continue to back down. I think the, the teachers are doing quite a smart thing with this kind of rotating one day off, one day on, because, you know, had they to go out fully on strike and be legislated back, um, uh, that's, you know, and, and, and the other the other issue, too, I think, is it's not just about the 1%. So that the fact that the premier has drawn a line in the sand on that doesn't mean that for, for parents, for example, it's not about the 1%, it's about the the lack of teachers in the classrooms, the fact that uh, we're going to lose thousands of teachers, that the classroom sizes are going to be bigger, that what if, STEM... What if the government seeds some, some uh, going to be cut. seeds their position, or, you know, they, they soften their position on that, but they, they remain firm on the 1%. That's calling the union's bluff. Uh, if they're really well, not about wages, but of the quality of the education, then let's see if that's where the wiggle room if, is. If the cuts to education were rolled back, I think you'd have a very interesting and very different discussion on your hands, but I don't see, you know, a, but the government's not doing that yet. Will they do that? I hope so. 
Um, I think parents hope so in this province, and I think children hope so. Let me ask uh, as well another scenario I wanted to offer up, because uh, you know that 1% cap on the public sector wages, including teachers, is being contested at court. Should the government lose on that, as McGinty did with Bill 115 back, uh, oh, I don't know, I think it was about 2014 or maybe somewhere around there anyway. Uh, If they do, is that an off-ramp for the government to say, well, you know, we tried, and uh, at least, you know, they don't have to hang their heads in shame. There's no ignominy. They tried. And then they go back and negotiate a settlement, Michael. That is a possible, possibly in terms of an offer. The, the problem with that is, and, and you know, would would they, for example, try to trigger Section 33 again, the notwithstanding, overturn a court decision? I don't think the same kind of political climate exists that uh, the, the Premier thought, you know, existed uh, when it came to the Toronto Council decision. Uh, I think the, the danger or the challenge they have is that, you know, and I think the reason why they're so dug in, uh, dug in about this is... Um, the 1%, because then it starts setting the standard. If you break it here, then you start breaking it everywhere. And then they have a fiscal problem. I mean, they can obviously turn around and say the courts have done this. But at the end of the day, you get two years or a year and a half, two years from now, everybody's going to forget a court decision. Everybody's going to forget what's, you know, what was ruled there and that the government used this narrative. And at the end of the day, the government's still sitting with a major fiscal problem. And that was the whole idea behind the 1% in the beginning. Well, so is it possible, too, that uh, part of the long, long-range plan uh, for the government is to instill more competition and parental choice in education? It, it's a possibility. That could be, that whole notion of the voucher thing, I mean, it, it operates in the United States in some places. I, I don't think it's palatable. I think it's actually um, just completely unpalatable to people in this country. And the notion is that, and I, and I think it's correct, that if you start doing that, you're actually literally, for every dollar you do in the voucher system, you're taking it out of the public system. And, it, you know, as we've seen with, you know, the, the backlog of repairs and everything else, I think the last thing we want to see is uh, is money being taken out of, a, of a, the public system and put into, frankly, you know, probably uh, higher-end type schools and everything else. And, uh, yeah, I understand parental choice, but uh, parents, parents do have a choice. If they have the means, they can go to other schools. But I think we have to critically support our, our public education system. You cannot effectively do that if tax dollars are being uh, pumped off into the to private schools. Any thoughts, Kelly, as to maybe uh, this is something ideologically or philosophically the government might you know, a, a true conservative would say parental choice, let the money follow the kid. Uh, maybe that's what they've got in mind. I, I, I don't see that. No. I, I don't I don't think that that's a Canadian thing, quite honestly. I, I, I agree so we're married Michael. to the public system. I do think such we're married. As it is. I do think we're married to the public system such that it is in Canada. And, but something I, I just really wish I could point out, because I wrote about this today as well. In 2003-2004, there were 2.14 million students in the public system. In 2016-2017, there was 2.04 million. That's less. There were 115,000 teachers and administrators in 0304. There was 141,000 in 1617. And our debt went from 138 billion to 301 billion. So, yeah, the, they're going to put a line in the sand. But the thing I will say about this Supreme Court decision on the 1%, if it gets that far, is I don't believe any court in this country is going to legislate rules around governments on how much they have to spend and how much raises they have to give. That is right in the Constitution. That is the job of the legislative branch of government, not the judicial, and I do not believe for a second that they're going to lose in court. But by the same token, if you cap at 1%, and I don't know, I'm just asking the question sincerely, is that somehow an abridgment of the right to collective bargaining? 
but they have been collectively bargaining, and they're on strike. So it shows that they still have the right to the right to all the collective bargaining rules that they they have, and they and the government has said we're ready to go back to the table anytime you want. But the union is dug in and not going back to the table. And the government has collectively bargained several deals with other education workers over the past few months as well. So I don't know how you can argue that there's no collective bargaining if you're, all you're saying is we will bargain on everything other than the fact that the most of a raise you can get is 1%. You can still bargain less. Hey, you could bargain a 3% reduction but keep all the number of kids into the classroom. Hey, how about we'll reduce the number of kids in the class but teachers take a 5% pay cut. Is that not collective bargaining? Well, yeah, and that's one of the arguments I presented as well. It'd be uh, interesting to see if the unions, if they concede on the uh, point of the wages, maybe they get some other stuff. You know, it's a tit-for-tat thing. But, Sherry, you know, when you talk about, well, these cuts and so on and so forth, the government's actually poured more money into education, uh, about $1.9 billion by Minister Lecce's admission on this program yesterday. I mean, he's talking about a form of reform of the education system that they feel is necessary. Are they wrong? Well, um, first of all, there have been cuts, and there have been cuts financially. Um, well, he you know, says this, no. There's lies, damn lies, and statistics has, has come from government offices. But but here's a real public relations problem this government has, and that is they've given huge raises to their own cabinet and to themselves. They've given tax the cuts squeeze. to corporations and to the wealthy, right. and um, they've taken it out of education. This is not a good look, um, and people know this, and people see this, and, and teachers know it, and Remember, teachers are also voters and, and have lots of ties in communities. Um, the teachers are a formidable group um, because they influence children and children have parents and parents are on the side of the teachers. This government has a real problem. And I, and I, and I think the only way out of it is, is to negotiate in good faith, which I would argue they have not done. I mean, the there have been many now. instances. You're talking about the unions? Uh, no, the government itself. Oh. They, I mean, he's walked away from the table um, on a couple of occasions. He was caught doing it um, uh, at one point. And, and I mean, I think, I think this, is, this is a problem the government's going to simply have to, just like with autism, where, you know, again, it has been a real problem for this government because they've made some very bad calls. And now they're well, kind they've of also inherited, you, to fair, in fairness to them, they inherited a file that was uh, obviously dropped for years it, by the liberals. It, it was not well handled by the liberals and it's been handled well they uh, you know they, they more changed. badly by the conservatives well no they came around after lisa mcleod uh, admittedly didn't do a good job handling it it's been handed off to somebody else who seems to be more adept at uh, getting things done advancing the file but your point is that the government is winning or, or losing rather the pr war because without it, a question i mean you look at the polling for doug ford's popularity you look at the polling for the conservative party and, well he's got to do unpopular things though doesn't he i mean our debt is 350 billion dollars does that impress you at all well obviously but i mean then why give your cabinet a raise and why give uh, it, it, corporate and wealthy individuals a break and not and not school children i mean this is this is what you're up against um you can't you can't can't give away with one hand and then complain about having a deva- well, deficit. I, I, I'm with not the sure other. that you know. In on balance, those are sort of uh, things that uh, weigh out, and it's not a wash necessarily. It's the corporate uh, tax. I mean, you can even make the positive uh, statement for giving tax breaks to corporations. But go ahead, Kelly. You wanted. To I was just going to say, if you want to talk polls, um, the party in third in those polls was the NDP. The opposition, the guys who are pounding the cuts hurt kids uh, placards all over Ontario right now. So if you want to go with those poll numbers that we saw this week, 
I don't think that we can say that it's uh, all bad for for the government when the opposition doesn't seem to be able to even keep their head above water. Well, the liberals seem to be doing very well. well and there's hardly any liberals there. But we don't. Have, yeah, but there's there's no target at the moment for the liberals, That's and also right. it's True. also those numbers are also mixed into the federal election numbers yeah. as well. Yeah, leaderless parties always do better because no, nobody to hate. There's nobody. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. But the uh, you know the other and the thing too is we all and from all sides of this you know the greatest gift we give our kids today is to hand them off a province that's not up to its neck in debt. Because, you know, everything decision we make, they have to pay it back. Do you think they even process that information? No, I don't I, think there's anybody looking long range no, here. And that's the issue. And I mean, the, the reality is our kids will have to process that because at some point, people stop lending us money. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.